Talk Recorded live. When you're dead, she had to move, she had to speak, it went to her head. Hello, everyone. This is Weldon Johnson of Let'sRun.com. I'm joined by Jonathan Galt in Boston and the voice of Ivy League track and field, Let'sRun.com's Robert Johnson in Baltimore. Welcome, everyone. Good to be here. Today's a special edition of Let'sRun.com track talk is tomorrow is the opening day of the IWF Diamond League and for Let'sRun.com fans, that means it's the opening day of professional track and field. Sorry, Penn. Sorry, Drake. Sorry, everything that came before it. In terms of international stature, this is opening day tomorrow, and we've got a tremendous meet in Doha. Um, John, Robert, where should we begin? Wait, hold on. I thought we were doing this to preview the hats. We're doing Doha instead? <laughs> uh, no, it's going to be a great meet. Um, I, I don't know. There's so many good events. Uh, I think so many storylines. I mean, what are, you, what are you guys thinking? 1,500? Uh, Robert, any opinion? Yeah, well, I'm very excited for it. I mean, I, I think on Sunday night when the Stanford meet was going on, I angered some of the Let's Run faithful when I put on the message board that I was going to bed and I, I, I was tired of preseason scrimmages. And some people took offense to that. But um, I'm very pumped for tomorrow's meet. I mean, it's on international television. It's in the middle of the day. I'm not going to be tired. And, you know, once you hit the 40 age barrier, uh, 12 midnight, it, it, 12 noon is the time of day that you want to be up, not 12 midnight. So um, I think the 1500, I mean, from a distance standpoint, um, might be the the um, race. Well, the women's 3000 is pretty pretty sick, too. But the men's 1500 is one that we're most excited through. John, why don't you tell us about the main um, competitors that we can expect to see there that you, that you mentioned in the preview? And then we can get into the breaking development about this race. Yeah, well, the three guys I, I focused the preview on were uh, Asil Kiprop, Elijah Manangoy, and Silas Kiplagat. They went 1-2-5 in that order at World Championships last year. And, uh, you know, Kiprop, we all know him. He's dominated the 1500, um, won every global title on offer since, uh, well, he's won the last three World Championships plus the 2008 Olympics. Uh, and he ran 3.26 last year. You know, everyone knows he's just amazing, one of the best 1,500 runners we've ever seen. But and then Kiplagat, you know, he's since the Diamond League's inception in 2010, he's uh, won a ton of meets. He seems to win one, you know, one or two every year. He's one of the only guys who's beaten Kiprop, you know, semi-regularly. Last year, Kiprop only lost one race, not to Kip- Kiplagat. But, uh, you know, Kiplagat has been able to beat him several times in years past. But the guy I'm, you know, I, I think I'm always most excited to see Kiprop just because of how brilliant he is. But Elijah Manningoy is the guy I'm excited to watch just, you know, how he develops this year. Because, you know, last year, he's this guy used to be a 400-meter runner. Um, and then he, you know, shifted to the 1500 a couple of years ago. Last year, I think at the start of the year, if you asked anyone who Elijah Manningoy was, I think all three of us would probably have said we'd never heard of him, or at least I'd never heard of him. But he ended up as a silver medalist at Worlds, and he had the best close of anyone. If you watch that final straight, I mean, the last hundred, he's not even, you know, halfway down the home stretch, he's not in the picture, and then he's suddenly, you know, blowing by the rest of the field for second place. So he's a guy 
who I think can get even better now that he's, you know, exposed to the top level of racing, top competition. And if there's one person who I think can, you know, dethrone Kiprop this year in Rio, uh, I think it's going to be, you know, Manangoy and Doha is our first chance to see them head to head. They've both been sort of dominating the tune-up races in, in Kenya, but this is the first one that they'll go head to head in 2015, 2016. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than this. I mean, the big three, the Kenyan big three facing off in the first meet of the season. But uh, speak for yourself, John. I, I've been singing the praises of Man and Joey in Leicester City for a couple years now. Um, <laughs> I've, I've been on top of both those. But, you know, the, uh, I think we can all agree that Kiprop is. is He's the most beautiful 1,500-meter runner I've ever seen. I mean, just watching him run, it's a pleasure to watch. And when he's on, he's almost unbeatable. And then last year, out of nowhere, um, Elijah comes on the scene. And being an ex-400-meter runner, it's sort of people, we're all in love with speed, right? So you sort of think, like, this guy came out of nowhere. He's only, what, officially 23, but he told – Andy Arnold has been having some excellent reports for Let's Run.com in Kenya that he's 25. Um, but just with the 400-meter speed, you sort of, you know, could this guy beat Kiprop? Uh, Kipogod, I think, sort of, I don't know, I think he's a, a little bit older. Maybe age is catching up with him. But, you know, he's still a metal threat for sure. And uh, Robert's just... Uh, he's not really a, a championship runner. He, he's great in these rabbit diamond league races, but his championship performances haven't quite been up to snuff. The, uh, the, the crazy news is, Robert, you know, you were t- talking about this earlier. Not, I don't believe it, but let's hear it. Well, I, I was searching just before we got on the call to see some recaps of the uh, Doha press conferences, and, and I found an article in Kenyon's The Nation paper, and um, it starts off with world record talk. For tomorrow, possibly by Asbel Kiprop. It says Kiprop, who completed a hat trick of world championship victories in the 1500 last year, ended up going for the world record before the Monaco egg in Rio Olympics. But can he do it in Doha? You never know, anything can happen, said Kiprop on Wednesday. However, I'm yet to turn out in the 1500 since last season. Let me see how it goes. My priority this season is the Olympics, as well as lowering my personal best, which could be a world record. I don't need to wait until Monaco to do it if I'm in form. So I, that like got me incredibly excited. I mean, I think the Kenyan press, they like to sort of play things up a little bit. But you read that quote right there. I mean, Kiprop himself said, I don't need to wait until Monaco. So he's been racing a lot, um, you know, this early in the season. I was kind of wondering what was up with that. Um, you know, he's been really sort of very active on the Kenyan circuit. Um, he's already got one, two, three, four six races this year according to Telestopsha, four eight hundreds of five thousand and one cross country race. So um you know he he's run fast in Doha in the past. I think he's run three twenty nine there. So I certainly wouldn't predict it, but that's how crazy would that be to kick off the two thousand sixteen season with a world record in, in, in the fifteen hundred. That would be incredible. And yeah, I like you said, I don't think it's gonna happen, but He's actually run 329 twice in Doha, and he's run 143 twice in the 800. So, you know, he's usually in shape this time of year, but, and, you know, if anyone can do it, it's Kiprop, but 320, you know, he'd have to run 325. I just, I really don't see that unless it's in an ideal situation. 
Yes, the world record, of course, he shot Algarve's 326.00, set in Rome in 1998. So we're getting close to 20 years old. One thing I want to say about, about Manangoy um, is, you know, I was wondering, you know, if there was, you know, oh, he's a 400 runner. I mean, to me, his story is so ridiculous. It's like, you know, you need to learn how to race and all this stuff. I mean, this guy was running the 400 at the Kenyan trials as late as 2013. He actually was pretty good. I mean, he got sixth in the World Championship trials in the 400. He ran 47.33 um, at there to get sixth. He, he, he's got a 46.5 hand time that year. Um, and then in 2014, I mean, no one, you know, even I didn't know this, um, you know, he ran 335 hand time in, in, in Kenya. He went to the Commonwealth Games and finished 12th place. So I guess that was probably the last in the final. And then last year, I mean, you know, he, he's second at the World's. Run 329. Um, you know, it's it's like if you're if you're fit and you're in incredible shape, you don't need race tactics. You don't need any of that. I mean, you're going to finish well. Um, one other thing about this race, though, is you know those three aren't the only guys that that I'm interested in seeing. Um, you know, the uh, I really want to see how Robert Bilot looks. I mean, he's the 2013 World Youth Champion. Just turned 20 in January. And he really got screwed, in my opinion, last year. At the Kenyan trials, it was Chiprop 2-1, Kipagot 2, Manangoy 3. And remember, Kenyan got to four spots. B-Watt was fourth. He ran 3.34. He had run 3.29 in Monaco, and yet Kenya did not take him. I don't know if it was tribal politics or what, but they took Timothy Cherry at the fifth placer. Um, you know, I, I would have definitely taken B-Watt. He deserved it. Or Ronald Kumoy, who had run 3.28 the year before. So... Um, you know, B-Watt is, is a big talent. And remember, you know, it's, it's, cra- it's crazy. Like, everyone just assumes Kiprop, you know, we, or, or is he going to win the gold medal at the Olympics? But, you know, is it possible someone, one of these big names doesn't even make the Olympic team at Kenya? They're, they're so loaded. Well, someone's not going to make it. You only get three spots. But I don't see it being Kiprop. This guy is just. Well, let's say Kiprop's not top three at their trials. Do they still take him? I mean, do they have some sort of – does anyone know how they're going to do the trials? Speaking of the trials, John, why don't you tell us about the latest about the Kenyan trials? Yeah, well, the Kenyan trials, we think, will be held at the end of June. But, uh, you know, I've been following this, you know, Kenyan journalist, Michelle Katani and – Katami, sorry. And she posted on Twitter this morning that uh, – Kenyan trials have been moved back to June 29th, June 30th, that weekend. And this was from the middle of June, I think the 14th, 15th, 16th, that area. But I remembered, I was like, wait a minute, didn't she just announce that they had been moved to June 14th, 15th? And so, indeed, this is the second time that the date has been changed. Originally, they were the last weekend in June. Now they're the, then they're in the middle of June. Now they're back to the end of June. So, you know, we think that's when they'll be held, but, you know, so I guess in how this relates to the, the 1500 selection, you know, if my guess is they would take the top two finishes from the trials, because if I recall correctly, that's what they did last year, pretty much every event, they would take the top two automatically if they have the standard. Um, the third one, I would guess, is more of a discretionary pick. And I remember a couple times, Last year, I think there was an athlete in the 10, women's 10,000 who DNF'd the trials race but still got a bid. So I think Kiprop is the only one who has earned that level of respect that if he bombs the trials, uh, they'll give him a pass. 
But I think any, pretty much anyone else, you're going to have to finish top two or top three if Kip Rob's in the top three. So, um, you guys are just joining us. This is Robert Johnson of Let'sRun.com. That was Jonathan Galt. And Weldon Johnson is also on the line. Um, you're listening to a special edition of Track Talk as we kick off the Diamond League season. The mile track and field opens this season in Doha in exactly 23 hours and 45 minutes. Um, so we need to make some predictions for this 1,500, guys. I guess two questions for each of you. Um, who is the winner, and does the world record fall? Uh, I'll start with the second okay. question first. No. Just because that's very easy to go out on that limb and say that the world record does not fall in the first race of the year. But just when you have someone talking about it, it makes it interesting, especially with these with with these guys racing. You know, um, to, to to get the fast times, at least in recent history, you, you've needed not only a rabbit but also a competitive race. So you could see a really fast time tomorrow. Um, if the record falls tomorrow, we're at a whole another level. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what Matt Centrowitz is thinking. Um, but for the winner, I got to go with Kip Rob. He's in great form, been running tremendous in Kenya. Andy Arnold, you know, everything reports that not only he's been doing well, he's been almost toying with the fields over there. So uh, I'm going to go with Kip Rob for the win, sub 330. I, I agree with you, Weldon. Um, Kip Rob for the reasons you picked. I'm. I, you know, all this talk about the fast times, it is getting me excited. He's run fast in Doha before. I think he's got some people to push him. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say 328 to Kip Rob tomorrow. Wow. You guys, I mean, he's run 144.6 already this year at altitude. No, I, can I try to talk you out of your picks? Are you guys aware? Here is a question for you. Here's a question. Do not type on the computer. Do not cheat. What is the career head-to-head record at 1,500 between Silas Kipagot and Asbel Kriprop? Someone please give me the matchups. How many times did they race? They raced 27 times. Uh, oh, wow. This is according to telesopa.org. I, I can't. How many times I'm, has Kipagot won? Please give me a prediction in three seconds. Jonathan Gold. I'm going to go 27 times? I would say, like, it can't be this low because it's got to be a trick question. I'm going to say, like, 10. I'm going to say 14 wins for Kiprop, 13 for Kiplagat. Wow. Very close. Kiplagat leads the head-to-head 14 to 13. Hmm. And at 1,500. And lifetime in all distances, again, this is according to Telesopcha. So if you drop out, they may hold the heads out of DNF, but it's 18 to 18. So... It's amazing that almost blew my mind. I mean, I, I knew that he beat him a lot. You know, sometimes in some early season meets when it didn't mean a lot. But, um, but that's not making me. I'm going with you guys. I definitely think that um, Kiprop could win. I did think though that sometimes it's really exciting to think about like what if scenarios. Imagine if Manangoy beats Kiprop tomorrow. I mean, it's going to change the entire storyline for the season. I mean, it, it, it would be. You know, Kiprop almost is the underdog. It would be <laughs> kind of crazy to think about. So that the 1500 is going to be just a super, super race. All right. Well, we can't just talk about the 1500. And also, before we turn to the events, maybe for some of the newcomers, we should sort of just discuss the Diamond League format and how it works. Um, there's 14 Diamond League meets. They're held throughout the world. Um 
and you pick up points in your event, uh, I believe in, actually, I said we're going to discuss the overview. Is it seven events where, where each event is run? Yeah. Um, so in half the events, like the men's 1500 meter will be run. You get points in that event at the end of the season, only the event winner. There's double points at the Diamond League finale, and the only event winner picks up $40,000 in cash. But, you know, it's, the meets are usually held about once a week, sometimes twice a week. It's somewhat, somewhat part of the problem. But it's, you know, the biggest stage of track and field. And in terms of the Kenyan trials, we mentioned that. The Diamond League runs through June 16th in Stockholm. And then there's a break of almost a month till July 15th in Monaco. And that's pretty much so, you know, that the U.S. can hold its Olympic trials, the Kenya can hold its Olympic trials, Great Britain, et cetera. So it makes more sense to have the Kenyan trials, um, you know, maybe right around June 30th, July 1st. That's when the U.S. trials start. Um, but earlier than that, you know, people, Kenyan athletes are going to have to sacrifice, you know, the chance to make money, make a living, and race the Kenyan trials instead of Diamond League meet. Um, and the, the new addition this year, there's only one Diamond League, League meet in America. That's in Eugene. And, you know, that's less than a month away, May 28th. So you're thinking about heading up to Eugene. Get your tickets now. And uh, Rabat Morocco has replaced New York City in the Diamond League this year. So that's sort of the Diamond League uh, overview. Um, so. We, we talked about the men's 1500. Why don't we talk about the other events that I'm really excited about also on the men's side, the men's steeplechase. You've got the world number one, Jairus Birich, versus uh, world number two, Conceslas Caputo. And then, of course, Ezekiel Kimboy, the greatest steepler of all time, and uh, I think all three of our minds, um, just totally loaded. Um, John, how do you see that race um, breaking down? Well, I see it as how most uh, Diamond League steeples involving Jairus Spirich go. Uh, he's going to take it out hard, probably around eight minutes, eight flat pace behind the rabbits, and try and break everyone, you know, during that second half of the race. And the thing with Spirich, so we've gotten reports and looking at the results, and from what Andy's told us in Kenya, Spirich uh, is stronger than he's ever been. He ran 28.35, I believe, at altitude. Uh, in the 10,000, which using the NCAA's conversion uh, converts down to about 2703 uh, for 10K, and that's, you know, just a ridiculous effort. Uh, the guy, we know the guy's strong. You know, he can grind out pace from the front, but the question is, you know, can these other two studs, Ezekiel Kemboy and Conceslas Kikrudo, hang with them? Uh, last year, Kemboy actually beat Berech in the first Diamond League steeple or the first one that they ran against each other that was in uh eugene but apart from that he's been pretty terrible on the diamond league circuit for the last two years uh so you know if kenboy is fit and willing to if he's fit and willing to go with him you know he has a shot obviously but you know we, we really don't know and then kipruto has been more consistent on the diamond league circuit and Essentially, I mean, I, this is sort of a broad prediction, but the way these races go is either Birach wins comfortably or he gets in a close battle with someone and loses. Uh, that's usually how it goes because Kipruto outkicked him in London last year, Kenboy outkicked him in Eugene. So, you know, I, I'm going to say Birach wins 
uh, by a few seconds just because that's been the more common outcome, but I don't know much about Kenboy's shape at the moment, uh, so it's kind of hard to say. Yeah, but this is Weldon. Before I jump in, let's take a moment to uh, give pay respect to the Diamond League moment of the year in 2015. I still get goosebumps when I watch this, but hopefully it comes out in the audio. Here it is. Last year, the steeplechase in Paris. And the crowd here at the Santa Fox appreciate what they're seeing because Evan Jager is sorely running for sub-8 minute clocking here. Oh, the oh, oh, is oh, down. Oh, Jager, get up. Concentrate. Oh, oh, keep going. Billet in four line is going to take me. He's nearly as well. I cannot believe it. Jager crossed the line. They're just outside eight minutes, surely. What an utter, utter disaster when 99.9% of the job was done for Evan Jager. So there it was, um, Tim Hutchings and uh, Stuart Story on the call. Um, just a fabulous race. But, and it, you know, Jager lost. It still made Diamond League moment of the year internationally, not just for us biased Let's Run.com fans. Uh, it was just so shocking that he was going to win the race, break eight minutes. Um, but I think that... Talking about Jager is relevant here because Birich runs like Jager. Jager, um, he, he he needs a a good time, sort of a faster pace to win. He doesn't have the changing of gears that Kimboy has. And when you hear famed coach Renato Canova talk about it, he makes it sound like for sure that Kimboy will win the Olympics just because of that change of speed. But um, Birich is talking about how he's going to win worlds. He's just going to make it a fast pace, and that would help. Uh, Jager for sure. So, you know, I think sort of this the difference with Diamond League is there's a rabbit, but sort of how these races play out and sort of, you know, just Beerus just run away from everybody. He can do that consistently. Um, a little bit, kind of a, a little bit of a preview of Worlds. I mean, one of the things, if I was Beerus, I, I would really demand that one of these races there not be a rabbit. I, I think he needs to get used to running a flat by himself. I mean, that sounds crazy in other events, but I've always felt when I was coaching at Cornell that you can run the steeple fast almost in any weather. You know, it can be a little bit windy. It can be a little bit hot because you're not running that fast. Um, and the rabbit's not that important either because you can't stay that close to the rabbit for wind purposes because you have to jump all the time. So, um, you know, I, I would like for him to – I would think it would give him confidence, you know, to, to, to put it on one of those – he needs to practice that. I mean, otherwise you're going to get to the, you know, world and have to do it by yourself. So it's certainly interesting. You know, one of the things we've been talking about is Kim Boy being the GOAT and the greatest of all time, thanks to his, how many global titles has he won now? It's, um, I think he's won six and five straight. I know he's won 2009, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2015, and he also won the 2004 Olympics. So, yeah. yeah, you know, it, it's fascinating because I, I was thinking he's won every one <laughs> ever run. It seems like I was looking up on our results database, you know, in 2007, he actually lost. He was second in Osaka. And then in 2008, he had a bad Olympics. I think he was like seventh there. So, you know, he has lost in the past, just not recently. Um, but, he, you know, if he's the greatest seed forever, consider these stats, guys. He's raged Barrett's 
Kimball and Birich, again, this is according to Telestopster.org, 21 times. Please tell me how many times Birich has won. Give me your guess, Weldon, quickly. 15. Jonathan? Yeah, I think um, I, I, maybe I would even want to say hot. I'm going to say, uh, say 14. No, I'll say 16. 16. The price is right, higher or lower. Jonathan, at this point, you were screwed, though, because Weldon nailed it on the on me. Ah, exactly. He he's won 15. Yeah. So Jarvis Birch has won 15 of the 21 times he's raced Kim Boy, but never when it's really mattered. Um, and you, you even take Conceslus Caprudo. They've raced 15. He's raced Kim Boy 15 times in his career. Caprudo's won 10 of those 15, so two-thirds of them. Um <laughs> And then, the, you know, the only one in the field, and, and we, we mentioned the 2008 Olympics, that was, of course, won by Bremen Caputo. Um, and he is actually the only one that has a losing record. Um, and Caputo also won the 2007 World. So he's the guy that beat, he's the only guy that has beaten Boy twice when it matters most. And ironically, he's the only one of these guys that has a um, losing record against Boy career to career. Now, career to career, they've raced 49 times at the Steeplechase, and Kimboy leads 28 to 21. So, you know, for all of you people that think that the stars and tractor fields always avoid each other, they definitely don't avoid each other in the steeple or the hurdles. These guys race each other all the time, and it's fantastic. But that's one of the things, and one of the reasons why we did this Doha podcast was the number one versus number two matchups are all over the place in this meet. It's really exceptional. So, um, but it's just kind of it's like how can he be the goat if he's lost all these you know meets? But um, something you get a good point there. The people in the hurdles, the athletes are forced to race each other, and it's what the sport definitely needs. Um, but we, we we can't talk about this, the steeple in the fifteen hundred meter forever. So quickly, I'll throw out either one a question: Who wins this race, and does Evan Jager break eight flat this year? Um, I'm going to go with Birich winning the race. Jager definitely breaks eight this year. I think Birch wins. Wanna say? Yeah, I, I think Birch wins, but I don't think Jager breaks eight because I've looked at the well, I've looked at the Diamond League schedule. I, I think the only Diamond League meet I can see him running before the Olympics, maybe maybe two. He might run, you know, Eugene and Monaco, but I don't know if either of them even have steeples, so I haven't checked that. Um, but he just generally – he only gets a couple cracks at a really fast time. And the first meet right after the Olympics, the athletes are usually tired. They don't run that well. If you remember last year, the Diamond League final, Paul Coach won the Diamond League final because everyone was just super yeah, your, tired. Your analysis is ripping apart my emotional so argument. My, my guess is that he will get to sub-8 fitness, but I, you know, I think the smart money is no, that he doesn't break it. I think it's hard, um, to, hard to argue with that logic. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with John on that. I'm trying to figure out if the um, people is going to be held a pre meet info. Here we go. I imagine it's not because we haven't heard anything about it. Yeah, it was held that last year. You might have a go at Monaco, though. No, it's a women's people chase a pre, so... Um, you know, I don't think he'll break eight, which is unfortunate. I mean, Jerry Schumacher doesn't like to race his guys very much. Um, you know, I, I think before we close the show, I'm going to have you guys predict how many U.S. distance medals do we get 
so we can talk a little bit more about Jager tomorrow. But um, I, I guess I'll go with with um, Spirits for the win tomorrow. I definitely think that the winning time tomorrow will also be under eight. But I'm going to say no for Jager. All right, let's keep the show moving. Talking about we've been talking. Let's stick with the you know number one versus number two matchups for that sort of thing. Uh, let's move to the women's side. The women's 800. We have um, last year's number one, Unisum of Kenya, taking on 2016 sensation, blast from the past, back in full force, Castor Semenya from South Africa, just dominating so far in 2016. Um, it should be a tremendous race. It also has a lot of implications for sort of, I don't know, the uh, maybe the future of the event, in some ways the future of women's sports, but... Um, where where do we begin with this one? Well, I don't know. I mean, should we call off a North Carolina politician? And, and the the the, uh, the women's eight hundred is almost. I mean, don't misunderstand. I mean, Casper Semenya obviously is, is a woman, but it's like in terms of, you know, it's not just self identification. If you have internal testicles, really the question is, and the courts are going to have to decide this. I think with some medical help, is should you be allowed to compete with men? you know, without treatment. And, and to me, the answer has to be no. I mean, it just doesn't seem right. But I, I, again, there's nothing on Semenya. I mean, she was born that way. She's, it, it's a natural advantage that she has. But ever since the Court of Arbitration for Sport last year said that people like her don't have to take treatment, I mean, her, her times have just become, you know, almost into the ridiculous nature. Um, so she pulled off of the 400, 800, 1500 triple at the South American, South African championships. I don't think there's any way that she loses. In the past, sometimes she was very inconsistent. Um, and I thought maybe that was because, you know, she would like cycle on to her treatment and then cycle off and stuff like that. Or other people thought perhaps she just didn't want to win by too big of a margin. I mean, she does only have that one world championship in 2009. She was a silver medal from 2012, but again, the person that beat her there may have also been suffering from the same condition that Semenya has. So, um, well, no, 2012, that was Semenya, who was just, you know, no, well, don't sit again. 2012, so, I, was thinking, yeah, I was thinking of 2008 Olympics. So, <laughs> so the only way to beat someone who has naturally high testosterone is to get on artificial testosterone yourself. So, um, you know, I, I think this is going to be the biggest story of the summer and it may real, you know, people are talking about doping now in Zika. To me, this hyperandrogen thing, I mean, it ties into the Caitlyn Jenner thing and, and the whole thing that's going on in America from a social standpoint. I'm afraid that people are going to sort of, these social justice warriors who have legitimate concerns about people, you know, who, you know, I mean, this is not the same thing as, as Caitlyn Jenner, which bathroom they should use. You know, it's like, where should they compete? And, and I'm afraid that somehow the fairness of it all could all be lost in that this summer. But um, I think this will be the biggest story of the Olympics. I think Zika's overblown, probably. Um, I think the drug thing is going to die down. So, you know, this is like natural drugs. Yeah, if you're, if you're sort of, let's take a step back. If you're kind of new to this, the issue is hypoandro, hypoandrogenism. And it's women who are born with often internal testes and have much higher testosterone, usually above the 10 to 1 uh, ratio. I think a normal woman has around like 2 to 1. Um, men usually have around, I think, somewhere, I'm just, these are very ballpark around 20 to 1. Um, so 
athletes with this have a huge testosterone advantage. Um, they usually uh, identify as women and are, have grown up as women, um, but they have a huge testosterone advantage. In sport, it's just a different thing. They're, they're competing. They have a tremendous advantage. And so the IWF in 2011 came out with regulations that you had to keep the testosterone, I believe, under that 10 to 1 ratio or Actually, I'm not sure of the number, but they I think find it's 10 to one. Yeah. 10 to 1. So actually, these women must have it much higher than that. They said, all right, we're going we're gonna to still let you compete at 10 to 1, um, but that's lower than what they have naturally. And um, Castor Semenya and a other, couple other athletes sort of disappeared from the world scene or they became much more consistent. And speculation there was that they were on hormone therapy, and so maybe when that ebbed and flowed, they would have a better performance than a bad performance. And then last year... Uh, last summer, the Court of Arbitration in Sport essentially ruled that the IWF hadn't shown that there was a basis for these rules and that it was sort of discriminatory. And unless the IWF came through and, and showed that there was a sort of glaring sport need uh, to implement these rules, that they, they were invalid. So as of now, these rules are invalid. And since then, Castor Semenya has just come back on fire um, running. And Tremendous times, 400, 800, even 1,500 for her. And and I get why the court did that. I mean, the court wants to be fair, and they, they basically said, look, there's no studies that prove this condition in women and it helps them athletically. But, I mean, my response to that would be like, uh, well, there's only a handful of women who have this condition, so it's hard to do a study on it. And it's not like it's any different. I mean, look, we all know that steroids work. They're outlawed. So this is basically the same thing. It's natural steroids. So, I mean, you don't have – it's just like common sense is thrown out the window. Um, you know, but, you know, one thing about the Habsonat, the uh, UPenn student is posting in the chat form right now that's interesting about the 800 is, you know, the, the world leader last year was only 156.99. And I think the final 800 of the 1500 worlds was a 157. So women probably should, you know, considering that women can run like 1415 for 5,000 and now 350 for 1500. I mean, it's weird that you know that just the 159, 158 has made you historically very competitive until the likes of Semenya and even come down to the 155 range. So, you know, I do think that you know faster times are certainly possible, but um, I don't know. I, I just talking about the women's 800 depresses me. I think right, I think can, um, you know, we, when we're we talking about it. this event, I'll, I'll make a prediction for tomorrow. I think Semenya will win going away. If she's smart, she loses some of these meets on purpose because if she's totally dominant and totally wins everything, I mean, I honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if you start seeing protests by the women. You know, people are suggesting on the message board that they just fire the gun, let her jog two laps to gold, and then have their own race for second afterwards. Um, and that would be a real travesty. But um, I don't know. I, you know, I think, um, you know, anyway, that, that's my prediction. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely interesting, and it's sort of an intersection of some social issues, and, you know, I think, well, more and more people want to be fair and, and, you know, respect people who are born with different genetics, but in terms of sports, you know, there's always been binary, um, you know, you're either competing under under the, the men's thing or the women's, um, and so there's not a well, third category where anyone can compete. 
And one um, way I thought about about trying to make it fair, but you could you could just instead of saying men and women, since I mean, look at what is the motto of 2016? Well, men and women is how you self-identify. So that's not a fair way to do sports. So if we're going to take that, you know, that liberal position on things, then fine. Why don't we just have an open category, which is everybody, mainly will be dominated by men, and then we have another category for people who have a testosterone ratio below 10. 10. And then that way, you're not discriminating against how you identify. You're not discriminating against people with internal testicles. It's purely based on your testosterone. And then that would be you know, an easy way. Or, or you could I mean, because otherwise you're going to have... You did that, though. Division. You might have biological men taking testosterone suppressors competing in the... Well, you've got to say, you say natural, natural testosterone. Yeah. You know, otherwise you're going to have to have three divisions. You're going to have to have, like, a, the Paralympics. You're going to have men, women, and you're going to have an intersex division or something. So um, it's kind of crazy. Well, we can move to the women's 3,000 meters. The Diamond League, um, more so I think on the women's side, and the men sometimes will replace the 3K instead of the 5K. And we've got a great matchup there. Um, the world championship, championship with the world champions at 5,000 and 10,000 meters squaring off. Uh, Almaz Ayana from Ethiopia, the 5K champion, who did the unthinkable and defeated Dababo last year. A lot of people didn't see that one happening. Uh, she's taking on Vivian Chariot, the 10K champion. Um, should be a great race. You know, the 3K, I think, for sure, Chariot's at a huge disadvantage. But it's a great matchup. And, a, you know, it's good to see, I think, Chariot out there racing a shorter distance. Yeah, I mean, she's she's a woman who the only thing missing from my resume is the Olympic gold medal. Um it's going to be tough for her to get it. I think the 5,000 is pretty much Ayana, Dababa. They, they're going to own that one this year. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, you know it's good to see her out there. I think Ayana, I'm excited to see what she did because if you remember last year, her first race of the year was the Diamond League in, Shoha, in Shanghai. sorry, And she ran 14-14, which is the third fastest 5,000 ever run. So this is her Diamond League opener two years ago. The... 3K was incredibly fast in Doha on the women's side. So I think she has a shot to run, you know, under 820 um, on Friday if she's fit. We don't really know anything about fitness because, as I said, she hasn't raced. But, you know, she, her PR is actually 822 officially, but she closed the 3K in the 5K at World last year in 819. So I think she can break 820 if she gets in the right race. Yeah, I'm not sure how or why we all discounted her in that 5K versus Zibaba because she had run 14-14. We definitely fall in love with the track speed and kicking and sort of assume that means you're going to win a longer distance race. Well, to be fair, if you run 350 for 1,500 and then close your 1,500 and 156, I think it's fair to to assume that person might win the 5,000. Well, yeah, there's know. a lot. There's, it, John, it, think, think, think about it for a college 15, if it was a college men's race, there's a lot of 14, 14 guys that could beat a 350, 1,500-meter runner. I mean, you know, and a grinded out 5,000. So, right, right. Have, but this is also a woman who had run, you know, uh, that 14, true. 15 that year, you know. So, she, I mean, if she had pretty, pretty equal... And she beat uh, Ayana earlier that year in Paris in the 5K. If, if finishing speed was everything, though, you know, Bernard Lagat would be a 10K runner. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, you know, we probably should have had a, 
Olympic trials talk preview in here. We, 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 you know, if we start doing these shows regularly, we can have little segments, not just do Diamond League, but there's, there's so much interesting going on right now. Um, so I think that that covers the distance events, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so let's, you know, one event I, I want to turn to, one, just to first give some props to the Drake Relays, the men's 400 meters. Um, well, Sean Merritt's racing here, but the, uh, the, at least at, at the top, the 400 meter here in Doha is, is less than the 400 meter in Drake last week, where you had Merritt take on Karani James in a tremendous early season matchup where James uh, just prevailed. But um, Merritt's in great shape. He ran um, 44-22 at Drake and still lost. He's run 19.78 this year. Um, he's in fine form. And then from the pr- press conference this morning, he was saying, you know, he expects a few guys to run 43 mid this year, and he wants to go 43 low. And, you know, that Michael Johnson's world record still out there. It's what they've all got their eye- eyes on. Um, but the 400 really last year became a, you know, used to be the merit and, show and, and now it's opened up even more although in uh doha you know merit's definitely the name that stands out um i guess there's only one other guy under 45 seconds this year in the field so you, you do have isaac mcquala who uh you know ran 43.72 last year and granted that was at the uh i think le show de fond the name of the track the suspicious french track where everyone runs extremely fast so, but he, he did back that up. He ran pretty well at Worlds. He didn't, you know, win, but he's ser- he's serious. But I think the three stars right now at that event are James Merritt and Van Niekerk, three guys who broke 44 in Beijing last year. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, credit to Merritt's coming out here in race, but it's, it's more exciting when two or three of them are in the same race showing off against, squaring off against each other, you know? Yeah, I mean... You know, yeah, the McCullough time's a little suspicious, but he is seventh all time. He's actually faster. He's got a better PR, believe it or not, than Karani James. He was fourth at Worlds. I mean, it is a really great year for the 400. I mean, you know, one of the things is that, um, you know, it's just, I think um, Karani James ran faster last year and lost than he did when he won the gold medal at the Olympics. Well, so, Merritt, so, Merritt PR'd in the final and still got beat by Van Niekerk. Yeah, so, you know, Van Niekerk has run 43-48. That's fourth all-time. Merritt's PR is 43.65. McCall, 43.74. And James, 43.74, all in the top eight. So four of the eight fastest men in history are all, all, you know, in the event this year. And then Michael Johnson, 43.18. Um I'm going to make my prediction now. No world record this year, but I do think it's going to be a blazing um, final in Rio. Yeah, it's, it's going to be one of the races of the championship. Uh, it should be awesome. And I think the triple jump, which we've got, um, you know, we've got uh, a couple Christian of Taylor. We got Christian Taylor in it this year, but last year there was, you know, he and Pe- 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 PPP, excuse me, I can't properly pronounce his name, Pedro Pablo Picardo, is that, is that right, John? Yep, yep. Um, of Cuba, you know, they both went over, what, 18 meters? So only um, Christian Taylor's in it in Doha, but, you know, um, you've got Teddy Tango, Teddy, Teddy, how do you Tango. say your last name? 
Tam go. Yeah. Um, you know, he's coming back from injury. He's actually in Doha. I'm very interested to see how he does because, you know, we're really trying to – I really think one of the downsides of the Internet, this is weird. People say, what's wrong with track and field? And I, and I jokingly say, let's run. But the Internet has let people become very narrowly focused on the sport, and we're trying to get people to pay attention to the whole thing because, you know, when you turn on NBC this summer if you're an American or the BBC if you're British and you're watching the Olympics, they're going to show all these events. So it's nice to know a little bit about what's going on. Um, but the Frenchman and the triple jump has been injured, basically missed all of last year. I think he actually jumped in Doha, and that was it. Um, so he's back. Um, so, you know, he's got the Chinese world champion. Um, people, people, um, you know, on the, um, on the, uh, message board have, have made fun of his initials. His name is Dong Bin, but when you write it down, first name, last name, it's B Dong. <laughs> it's a funny juvenile joke on the message board during the world indoors. But he said an Asian indoor record is 1741. He's got a 1759 outdoors. So that's the Asian record outdoors he's, he's trying to get. So, um, you know, that's going to be a fantastic event. There's just a lot of – this meet, really, if you're a fan, it is going to be, you know, incredible. And then don't forget, you got, you know, the women's 100. You have uh, Tori Bowie is out there, and she's racing uh, Daphne Skippers. And, you know, Daphne Skippers uh, came up short of winning – gold in the 60 at World Indoors, but she ran one of the fastest 200s ever last year to win the World Championships. And, uh, you know, she's obviously a very talented 100 runner as well. Uh, Veronica Campbell-Brown is also in that race. Muriel Lahure, Jennifer Tabo, Tamo. Um, so I, I think Skippers is going to be the favorite, but that one will be exciting. And what, what I think is really exciting for Rio is uh, 200, women's 200 meters because you're going to have um, Allison Felix going for the 200-400 double. Then you've got Skippers, whose PR is faster than Felix, uh, and who is, you know, one of the fastest women of all time. And then you've also got uh, Shelly-Ann Fraser-Price, who is the two-time defending 100-meter Olympic champion and has proven she can run a pretty fast 200 when she wants to. Whether she'll actually run that race as well was yet to be determined, but you know, Skippers in the 200 and her against Felix this year is going to be a great matchup. Yeah, Skippers is definitely interesting. I mean, she sort of burst on the scene last year, at least in sprinting. She used to be a heptathlete. Um, I mean, she's white, which is unusual. Um, so people or some people are suspicious or what have you. It's just a, definitely a fresh angle. But then in America, you know, this is Allison Felix's legacy year. I think I've seen it sort of described that way. Um, and, you know, she's going to try to do the 200-400 double, or suspected she'll try to do both. The schedule's been changed so she can do it. And, you know, there's a decent chance she won't be favored in her best event, the 200. So, um, you know, it's sort of the people at NBC definitely want uh, Felix – to win them both and a lot of Americans, but that's the beauty of sport, right? It, it, there's a reason it's very hard to do. Um, so someone like Skippers can come on it and, and burst on the scene this year. Um, and well, she's kind of new in the men's 200 uh, in Doha. There's an old, old name who sort of, I thought was done with the sport and that's uh, Walter Dix racing his first diamond league meet since, is it 2013? Yep. Um, 
I'm just sort of surprised. But it, it shows that, you know, Olympic years, people, they find a way to get it together. I know he's suffered some injury problems. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's always been a bigger guy, struggled with weight, I think, as well. But maybe that contributes to the injuries. But Walter's run yeah. 2025 already this year. And, uh, I mean, there's a couple. Alonzo Edward, who, who's won the Diamond League, I think, the last two years. You know, he's already run 2011 this year. Um, Amir Webb of the U.S. has already broken 20. He's only sub 20 guys until 1991. But it's good to see some, you know, older names back out there and get ready to go. Dick's turned 30 uh, this January, so th- that's another sort of interesting subplot uh, in Doha for sure. Um, yeah, it's great to see him. I mean, he, he battled injuries really his whole career. I mean, 2008 he got the bronze in the 100 and 200. And then 2011, he got the silver in the 100 and 200, but, you know, um, really hasn't done much, you know, since then. Um, so it's, it's nice to see him back, that's for sure. And we didn't we didn't mention there's a couple Americans in some of the distance races, um, at least in the women's 800. Uh, it's Molly Wedlow and uh, Chanel Price, the former world indoor champion, are both in that one. So... That's something for American distance fans to be watching. And also, if you want to watch the race, you know we're going to put up a Doha link up top on Metron.com. It has all of our coverage there. You can find out how to watch it. It is on BN Sports tomorrow, um, which hopefully is on your cable package. But if not, there's a way you can subscribe and, and watch BN um, online. I think for 9.99 a month. But you also get a bunch of other soccer channels. So we'll have those links up on Let's Run. And the men's 110 hurdles as well is going to be great. Aries Marys with his new kidney. He's been world indoor champ, Omar McLeod. I mean, this is just fantastic stuff. But, guys, before we go, I think we should do some rapid-fire predictions for the year. Um, I have a list here. Let me figure out which, which document this is on. Um, I'm having trouble pulling it up. Here we go. Uh, also, I guess, quickly, well, uh, I thought you were, I was going to stall for you. But in Doha, a lot of times they have a lot of Ethiopian foreign workers and stuff. So they'll have like, you know, it used to be the crowd was pretty poor. And now these Ethiopian workers come out and like really cheer on the Ethiopians. So it's been a good crowd. And uh, Mutaz Barshim, is, he's actually a Qatari citizen. He, you know, he's trying to win the long jump. It's a good, I mean, excuse me, the high jump. It's a good high jump. Uh, he'll take on a world champ, Derek Dreen, the uh, Indiana, former Indiana jumper. So you know, hopefully the crowd sort of gets out and gets behind that as well. The beauty of the Diamond League is it's only two hours, at least the TV portion of the meet. So, you know, devote two hours of, of your time. Um, the broadcast is from 12 until 2 tomorrow Eastern time. So, all right, Robert, rapid fire. What are we doing? Okay, we're going to answer these questions. You, you, can, you have to say yes or no immediately, and then you, have to, you can provide like one, maybe one sentence of justification or two sentences. Uh, we'll alternate. Jonathan, you start, and then Weldon, you can go. We'll start with the the British guy gets a British-related question. Does Mo Farah double? Will he win gold in the 10 and 5 in Rio? Yes. Camaro uh, is good, but I've yet to see evidence suggesting to me that Mo Farah should be anything other than a favorite. So, yes. Weldon, what do you think? No. Camaro wins the 5. Wins the 10. Very good. How many medals will the U.S. win, men and women combined, in 800 on up? Weldon? Rapid fire. I need to think of the events and count them. Okay, um, I'll start. I'll start right now with my – well, John, I'll start. And I'm, I'm going to just say just one. 
and Avon Jager in the steeple. I think he can do it. I, I don't see any other medals, unfortunately. I, I think A.G. Wilson was a lock until this – I mean, unless she can get some good lawyers on her side and stop some of this madness in, in her event, um, I don't see how she beats Nian Sabo or, or Semenya, and then that leaves the bronze probably for Eunice Sum. So I, I don't see that happening. Maybe Jenny Simpson can do it. Um, I was saying no way, but if Kinzebe Dababa runs the, the 5,000, so maybe I should say two because, I mean, she's not beating Kinzebe Dababa. She's not beating Safan Hassan. Um, I don't think she's beating Kip Yegon of Kenya either. Maybe we win one there, but we're definitely not winning one in the Steeple 5 and certainly not the 10. I mean, I think last year we did it, but Emily Enfield, you know, that was a lucky year in some ways. A great run for her for sure. Um, definitely not in the marathon or most likely not in the marathon. Um, inside, I mean, good luck, Centro. That will have been loaded. 800, totally loaded. Jager, yes. 5,000. World Indoor Champion. Uh, no, no. And 10,000, I mean, I'm really into this now. I think Rob needs to pick one event. If he chooses both, there's no way. It's like, come on. He needs to be fully focused on one or the other. I don't see that happening. I mean, I guess if you added up all the potentials, maybe it would be two total. I'm going to stick, be negative. This way I can only be positively surprised and say one. What about you, Weldon? Yeah, see the logic. It's hard to argue with. I'm going to go with at least two. John? Yeah, I'm saying two. Uh, I I did overpredict last year. They only ended up winning one with Emily Infeld, but and that's what I said. Right? What? Wow, Infeld was the only medal. Yeah, and yeah. didn't I say didn't I say one last year? I know I was. Centro's got a there. chance. I don't I don't know. Hey. I think there are a lot of events that they can medal in, but when you add up all of those, I don't see. I really don't see any locks uh, okay. for medals. So I'm going to say two because I do think that combined across all of them, they do have a pretty good chance of getting a couple. Okay, we're trying to cut this off. We only have about five minutes left so we can break the hour barrier. Who ends up being the biggest track star in the Olympics besides Usain Bolt? Ooh. Um, See, I've had time to prepare for these questions. I'm deaf. I have an easy answer on this one. I mean... Is it, can we go with someone who's already a star? Like, does Felix or Eaton count? I'm trying to think. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they would I mean, count. I think they're already pretty popular, and I think they're going to get a lot of hype just because of what they've already accomplished. I mean, I'm really tempted to say, like, Trayvon Bromel or Andre DeGrasse, but I just don't see any. Like, if they beat Bolt, they're obviously going to be a massive uh-huh. star, but I just don't see Bolt losing. So, I, I don't know. I mean, do you, who do you have in mind, Robert? Uh, Daphne Shippers. I think she wins the definitely wins the 200, probably wins the 100, and you've got a. I mean, she may not be as big in America, but worldwide, a white, blonde-haired sprint champion, that's going to be big. Interesting. Well then, any opinion? Galen Rupp pulling off the 10,000 marathon double. No, I don't. Um... Was it finishing both races or meddling in both or winning? Yeah, running both bases. No, I was joking. He can get a medal, you know, but it still wouldn't be a star. Um, I don't know. Yeah, international star. I'd love to see um, Elia Kipchoge win the marathon and sort of see what that does, but that would be more like let's run star, like greatest marathoner of all time. Oh, wow. Um, Good answer. Good answer. That's good enough. Um, Okay. 
Does Bernard Lagat make the U.S. Olympic team? I mean, if you asked me a week ago, I'd say no way. Or not no way, but I would have said no. Um, I just thought the 10K, there was no chance. But, I mean, the 5K I thought was hard. I didn't think he was a 10K runner. You know, he'd run that 2740 road race. But, I mean, do you think he's really going to go out there and run the 10? Yes, of course. I don't know. I just picked off. I never viewed the 10 as like, oh, you just. Walton's mind blown away by a guy almost his age making the Olympics. John, what do you think? Uh, I have tremendous respect for Bernard Lagarde, and it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him make the team. But with that said, uh, I'm going to say no. I think that Rupp gets one spot in the 10K. Uh, Kipchichi ran great at Stanford. He won the 5K, so I think he's in good shape. I think between all the other guys who are going to be doing it, you know, uh, Ben True, uh, Hassan Mead, um, even, you know, Pulp Chalimo, it might make sense for him to double in the 10K and 5K. I mean, there there are a lot of guys, probably a couple I'm forgetting as well. You know, Legat's great, but he needs – I think, yeah, it's it's just going to be very tough for him to do it. So yeah, what, did, say, what did close in in Stanford? Anyone know? Last time? Uh, it was 50, 58, I believe. He wasn't. He won fairly comfortably, though. So he he didn't need to That's go all out. That's not getting it done now in the trials. I was gonna put. Um, does, Evan going, break, does Evan Jager break? Does Evan Jager break and win a medal? But we kind of talked about that, so I'll skip that for now. Um, do you guys think the Zika virus story will be a big story, or it'll end up being more hype than fight? I think it'll be overhyped. I think they, we see one every year now. As someone who's you know, planning on going to the Olympics, I do kind of hope that it dies down by then. You know, I wouldn't, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little worried, but yep. I, I, I mean, think most of these things usually end up dying down by the time the Olympics starts. Not to scare you, Jonathan, but there's very few worker protections for you and uh, Rio, so don't expect a hazmat suit to wear to the games or anything like that. John, running with the Buffalo's author, Chris Lear, called me yesterday and tried to get me to cancel my trip to the Olympics. He thinks it's unsafe for us. We are of childbearing age. If we ever want to have a family, he thinks that we should not be going. I told him, don't be serious. Don't be ridiculous. Um, uh, Do you guys think there'll be another big doping scandal, like uh, one that we don't know about already? Like, will a gold medalist from, say, 2015 be popped in 2016? Uh. I think there were dirty gold medalists in 2015 for sure. Uh, whether anything gets done by the end of the year, I don't know. I also don't entirely trust the IAF to suppress, to uh, you know, come out with everything before the Olympics. If they hear about something in June or July, given what happened before, I wouldn't be surprised if they wait until you know September to announce it. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say no. There won't be any major things, but I'm not going to rule out anything by it for next year. I'm going though as well. I'm a bit disappointed. I think the 2005 retest, they retested samples from 2005, they had a bunch of positives, and now they're not going to be announced because the Court of Arbitration Sport ruled like the statute of limitations had passed. Like, oh my gosh, that's just disappointing. Letting these cheats off on a technicality. Fine, let's, don't sanction them, but let's announce their names. Like, I don't know. What's wrong right. with that? Uh, still a factual statement. That's a very good point. Still be a re- right. Like Dennis Hastert, you know, they announced that he molested these kids. They couldn't prosecute that on him, but they didn't hide the fact that he did it. 
Good point. So, I don't know. Let's announce the names. Um, and do is he, Kenyan legends Ezekiel Kimboy and Asbel Kiprop win gold in their events? Yes. Yes to both. I'm going to go no to one of them. Do I have to pick one? <laughs> it's a safe way. Safe way out. Um, I think, let me think about this. I don't know. Am I rooting or being a journalist? I think Kimboy's time runs out. I think that's a fair pick. Well, very good, guys. We have a watch. Uh, that stuff will all be answered later on in the season, but uh, tomorrow we'll get a first good of many of these stars, Kimboy, Kiprop, uh, Karani James, you name it. They're all going to be action tomorrow in Doha. Diamond League action starts at 12 noon. If you haven't um, already, please check out the preview written by Jonathan Dalt. And uh, we'll be trying to do these more often. We're trying to hype up opening day. Spread the word to your friends. I mean, opening day in baseball is a huge event, so why not track and field? So for Weldon Johnson and Jonathan Galt, this is Robert Johnson signing off. Uh, Thank you for participating in Track Talk. 